Matthew, it's Gospel chapter 24. We're going to finish this chapter, verses 36 to 51. I titled this morning's message, Watch and Be Ready. And this is our fourth week in Matthew 24. Um, It's taken a while, but I think that if you have missed any of these messages, I would encourage you to go back on the website and listen to them so that you really have an understanding of Matthew 24 and 25. They're very important chapters prophetically. Last week, uh, we looked at the parable of the fig tree, and Jesus commanded his disciples, and it was a command. He says, now learn this parable from the fig tree. And Jesus used something that was very familiar uh, to the disciples. He used the fig tree that was common and familiar in the day. And he used it to illustrate to them the importance of being watchful. Jesus did this really to drive home a point. Uh, He's driving home the point because from verse 4 to verse 31, Jesus had given them the signs, the, the characteristics of the last days, the things to look for leading all the way up to the tribulation and into the tribulation and all the way to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And then he comes to the parable of the fig tree. And he says, now, now that I've said all of this to you, now learn the parable of the fig tree. He started with a warning Back in the beginning of this chapter, and in, in, in verse 3, he, he, the disciples asked those questions to him. What is going to be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus started with a warning about deception, about false messiahs and wars and rumors of wars. And he finished with words that said, but the end is not yet. These were just the beginnings of these signs, things that we've seen even in our lifetime. He went on to say that nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. And then Jesus said, all of these things are the beginning of sorrows, or we could say these are the birth pains that are leading up to the birth. He went on in verse 9, And he told his disciples, they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You will be hated by all nations, which I believe is a clear reference that Jesus is speaking about the nation of Israel and the nations that would come against it. Many will be offended, betray one another and hate one another. False prophets will rise up and deceive many. Lawlessness will abound and the love of many will wax cold. And then we came to what I believe is the middle of the tribulation period in verse 15. Jesus said, the abomination of desolation will be standing in the holy place. We know from Daniel 9 that this is the middle or the second half 
of the tribulation period. And at this point, the Jews, were told, are going to flee Judea to the mountains, to the safe haven that God has prepared for his people. That area is the area of Basra in the Hebrew. It's Petra in the Greek. It's actually on the southeast end of the Dead Sea, the holy area. It's a region of Edom is where this area is going to be. But then we're told that there's going to be great tribulation, the second half of the tribulation period. Uh, Jesus describes it this way. He said, there will be great tribulation at this time, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor shall ever be. I mean, that sounds pretty intense. False Christ, he goes on to, to say, and false prophets will come. They're going to come performing signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And I believe in context here, we're talking of this elect, that it's in reference to the Jews. And then comes the Son of Man as the lightning flashes from the east to the west. And then we read, immediately after the tribulation of those days. The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give light, the stars will fall from heaven, which I believe is a way of saying that even the stars are going to diminish their light. In other words, there's going to be darkness over the face of the whole world. And then we read, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. This is possibly even the Shekinah glory of God just bursting through that darkness and this world seeing the Shekinah glory of God as he makes his entrance back to this world or to this earth. All of this time, the tribes of the earth, we're told, are going to be, during this time, they're going to be mourning. When they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Keep in mind that what we've covered in those verses and all these signs and characteristics leading up to, this is all in reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ, not the rapture of the church. It's important to remember that. But then we finished. Then Jesus is going to send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they're going to, these angels are going to gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other and I believe this is going to be the final gathering of that remnant of Jews around the world that the Lord is going to be faithful to to bring them into the millennial reign of Christ. And so we now come to the parable of the fig tree that we covered last week. There's also going to be, and we're going to look at this today, another parable uh, or an illustration, we might call it, illustrating that the times are going to be similar or like the days of Noah. We're going to also see a comparison between two men and two women. We're also going to see the faithful householder And then lastly, the wise servant and the evil servant. They're all comparisons. They're all contrasts. But all five of these parables or these contrasts, they all point back to the things that Jesus said in the signs that were leading up to the end of the age. And then what the response should be of the people that are here on earth. 
The first of these parables that we looked at last week was the fig tree. Jesus told his disciples that when the fig tree's branches have become tender, which is a way of saying when you see those new shoots come off in the springtime off of a tree, and then it begins to put forth its leaves, Jesus says to his disciples, you know that the summer is near. In other words, that that day is drawing close. Just like when we see a a storm coming, we look for the signs, don't we? And we think, this is going to be a bad one. That's what Jesus was using with this fig tree, this picture, to show them what to look for. These are the signs. When you see all of these things come to pass, know that it's near, know that I'm even at the door, is what he's telling them. I know from experience living in North Carolina, and most of you do, if you got any trees around your house, you start seeing them fall pretty soon. And you know that in a couple of months, your whole house is going to be buried in leaves. That's something that you come to know. That's something by experience you come to know. That when fall comes... And that first batch of leaves come down. Two months from there, your house is buried in leaves. That's mine. And we don't like it. But that's as sure as what Jesus is saying here, that it's going to come to pass. He then assures them of the things that he has just said to them in verse 35. This is the certainty of the words that he just spoke. He says that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. When I read that, church, every word that Jesus spoke, every word, every promise, every sign, every prediction that we read in the Word of God, it's going to come to pass. It's going to happen. Jesus said, you know, heaven and earth are going to pass, but my word will endure forever. It's a promise. It's going to happen precisely the way that we're reading it here in our Bibles. You can be assured of that. We also need to keep in mind that what we have covered up to this point, from verses 4 to verse 31, is in chronological order. Jesus gave it to them in chronological order all the way from, I believe, the beginning of the church age leading all the way to the second coming of Jesus Christ and the regathering of the remnant of Israel. That's how he did it. Let's start reading again in verse 32. Now learn the parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves. He says, you know... Here's that, that gnosko. Uh, that's the word there for know in the Greek. And, and that word gnosko is a progressive knowledge. You are coming to know this. You know that summer is near. And so you also, when you see all of these things, he says it again, gnosko. Know that it is near at the door. It, we're, we're coming in and we're seeing the signs All around us, as we're in the day that we're in, we're seeing these things. Keep in mind that during the tribulation period, there are going to be those that are still on this earth that are going to read these things. They're going to see these things. And these are the things leading up 
to his second coming. The emphasis of this first parable is when you see these things come to pass, then know that the end of the age is near, that it's even at the door. That's what Jesus was wanting them to know. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Now we come to verse 36. Some see these next four verses that we're going to look at in context. They, they see them in relationship to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Why? Because in context, they all point to the things that Jesus was describing in verses 4 to verse 35. It's all in context of Christ's second coming, not the rapture of the church. But there are some that look at these next four verses and they do believe that it is a reference and has reference to the rapture of the church. And the reason why they do is because of a word in verse 36, how it starts out. It starts out with the word but. Now in Greek and in the Greek language, the word but, it can be a way of introducing a new subject. And so there are some that believe that when Jesus starts out with this word, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only, that Jesus now is now speaking about the rapture of the church. There are some, though, when we read this verse, and probably most of us here would maybe have this question, that no one knows the day or the hour, no one knows except the Father. No one even knows when this time will come. Why would Jesus not know that? He says, even the angels in heaven do not know the day or the hour of my coming. But my Father, it's reserved for my Father only. You you might ask the question, why? Why would Jesus not know? I thought he knows everything. We also have to keep in mind that Jesus in his humanity... When he was here on earth, he did limit himself in various ways. And I believe that this is one way that Jesus, in his humanity, that his knowledge of that future date was limited. It's hard for us to think of the God that knows everything. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere present. But he doesn't know the date of his return. He doesn't know the, uh, when that hour is about to come to pass. I believe that he does now, but I believe that in his humanity he did not. That he left that to the Father only. That's what it tells us here. That puts to rest, as I shared before, these people that want to be date setters. Have you read any of the books? Ones that want to set a date for the return of Jesus Christ? Jesus himself said he didn't know the day or the hour. But it's just human nature. Then when somebody says, you know what? No one knows the day or the hour. What do people do? I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure out what the day, and they, they try to calculate, and they come up with all these, and they try to figure it out. They're erring in doing so because Jesus himself said, I don't know the day or the hour. God knows 
that there will be unbelieving people in this world. After the rapture of the church, uh, there's going to be people on this earth, unsaved people that are going to be here, that are going to be not prepared for his coming. They're not going to see it coming. They're not even going to see the uh, second coming of Jesus Christ. They're not going to see the signs. They're not going to be aware. And Jesus knew that. Remember that Noah was a man of faith. Remember that Noah, we're told, that he was a preacher of righteousness. He had sons and he built an ark. And it's possible that he was building that ark with his sons for up to 120 years. Get your head around that. Most of us here, uh, no one is 120 here, and most of us won't live to that. But for 120 years, they're building this ark. I think that must have been pretty, uh, pretty awkward. You think as Noah's out there building this ark with his sons and it hadn't even rained on the earth yet. God used a different means and method to water the earth. It hadn't even rained, and he's building this ark, and he's out there with his sons, and he's saying that judgment is coming. He's saying a flood is going to come. That's why we're building the ark. He's probably telling the people that were there watching him day in and day out, turn to God. Judgment is coming. The second parable that Jesus gives to his disciples here in verse 37 to 42 is really an illustration of those who were unprepared. Uh, When the flood came and when judgment came upon this earth during the flood, they were unprepared for that day. But it's also a warning for those who are going to be unprepared when Jesus Christ returns at his second coming. Look at verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and it says, and did not know. Or they did not understand. This is speaking of the people that were here on this earth. They did not know. They did not understand until when? Until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. There's going to be people that are going to be on this earth, planet earth, that are going to be unaware that that day is approaching. And it's going to catch them off guard. They're not going to be alert. They're not going to be heeding the signs that had been given. The emphasis of this parable is about being prepared, preparedness. It speaks of the suddenness of the coming judgment that is going to come upon this earth. But the unpreparedness of those who are dwelling on the earth at the time, that they're not going to be ready when Jesus returns. The unbelievers were not prepared in Noah's day, were they? Only eight of them survived that went into that ark, and the rest of the world perished because they were unprepared. And the people are going to be the same, and that's why Jesus says that in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. 
What's interesting is that the saved, speaking about Noah and his family, uh, they did did know at least seven days in advance by God that the flood was coming. Interesting that it was seven days. Seven days before the flood, we read in Genesis 7-4, for after seven more days, God told Noah, I will cause it to rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. He knew seven days in advance. But the people still were unprepared and they would not heed the warning. It'll be the same way during the tribulation period leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. In Luke's gospel, chapter 17, we read the parallel to what we're reading here in Matthew. In verse 26 and 27, this is how it reads. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. And then it goes on in verse 28, it says, Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot. He interjects this in here now. Also, like it was in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the, on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Not prepared, not ready. We read in the book of Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. It says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemn them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterwards would live ungodly. And he delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds." Then the Lord, then we read, then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. It's spoken of all the way through the analogy, the comparison of the days of Noah and the time of Lot and the unpreparedness of the people on this earth before Christ's second coming. You see, eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, in itself there's nothing sinful of that. He's not speaking about the acts of eating, and and people have gotten in and and tried to elaborate on this, this thought. But I think what it's really pointing to is the unpreparedness of the people that are on the earth during the time. You see, marrying and giving in marriage, you're making long term plans. This is in, the, in, in a seven-year tribulation period. The day is drawing close. The time of judgment is at hand. And the people that are on this earth are living and going on in life unprepared for what's about to happen. 
Jesus said in verse 39, they did not know. They didn't know. They didn't understand. And so what we see is that there's going to be many unbelievers during this tribulation time that are not going to have a clue. They're not going to have a clue with what's coming. The people that will have a clue are those that get saved. And there's going to be many during the tribulation period that are going to give their life to Christ. Some of them are going to pick up the Bible. and They're going to read these things. They're going to know and they're going to put two and two together. And they're going to see these things drawing close. But the unbelievers, they're going to stand there with no understanding as that day of approaches. It made me think, as I was looking at that verse, it made me think of the tsunami that hit Sumatra. Many of us saw the pictures of that on TV as that earthquake struck and that tsunami wave was making its way towards these various islands. But I remember seeing the picture of this, these people that are out there on the beach. Maybe you saw it also. They were standing there. You could see in the distance there was somebody photographing this. There was this wave line that was coming across. The wave and the water had receded. And they were, they were just standing there having no clue. There was no warning system there. They had no clue what was coming. And here's this tsunami wave that was barreling down at the speed of 500 miles per hour coming down I actually saw one lady maybe you saw it too she was actually running out like she was running out to the wave didn't even have any clue because she didn't have the perspective to be able to see that that wave was traveling that fast and coming towards them and then you just saw in the pit, that wave just completely engulfed the people and it just swept them away it's estimated that 250,000 plus people perished in the tsunami that hit those islands. That's, that's just nothing compared to what's going to transpire at the second coming of Jesus Christ and those that will be unprepared and not, not aware of what's about to take place. Who's going to be taken away or who was taken away in the flood in Noah's day the unbelievers and I believe that what we're seeing here in in the context of of what Jesus is saying here those that are being taken away I believe is a reference not to the rapture but I believe that it's a reference to being taken away into judgment that's what's going to happen with those at the end of the tribulation period it took them all away into judgment the unbelievers that were unprepared. Jesus goes on in verse 40, and he continues this thought of watchfulness and preparedness. He says that there's two men who will be in a field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. And then he says this, watch therefore. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. You don't know. Watch, for you don't know. Be prepared. What we're seeing in these two verses, it has to do with 
the separation process that's going to take place at the judgment at the very end. One taken and one left. I don't believe, again, that this is a reference to the rapture. Some people have taken this and said it's the rapture of the church. I see it as one's going to be taken into judgment and one's a believer, one's not a believer. It's a a comparison, a contrast. This taking away is seen in Noah and the flood and it's seen here in the two men and the two women that are, that are and one taken and one left. It's the same principle that's being spoken of. Both men were doing the same thing. They were working in the field. Both the women were doing the same thing. Both of them just going on in life, doing the same work. One was taken, one was left. One was prepared, one wasn't. One was watchful, one wasn't. We know that it's going to be the same way, and we can say this at the rapture. Some are prepared for the rapture. Some, are, uh, some have not accepted Christ, and they'll be unprepared when the church is taken to be with the Lord in the air. But here I believe we're talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. The wording here speaks of separation that will happen on this day of judgment. The person who does not know Christ during that time is going to be taken away into judgment. Those that survive the tribulation period, and there will be many that will survive during the tribulation. They'll go all the way to the end. It's going to be those people that accept Christ that are going to go into the millennial reign of Christ. There will not be any non-believers going into that. It'll only be Christians, people that get saved during the tribulation time, that are going to go into the millennial reign of Christ. If we compare Matthew's gospel with Luke's gospel, I think we can get a better understanding of when this is taking place, what we're reading here. Look at, uh, you can turn there, Luke's gospel, chapter 17. It's the parallel to this. In verse 34, Jesus says, I tell you, in that night, there will be two men in one bed. Uh, There will be, one will be taken, the other will be left. There will be two women who will be grinding together. The one will be taken, the other left. Two men will be in a field. The one will be taken and the other left. And then they answered and they said to Jesus, this is the disciples saying this to Jesus, where, Lord? In other words, where are they taking them? And this is how Jesus responded. So he said to them, Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Now, where did we, uh, you know, where did we read about that? Look at uh, verse 28 of Matthew chapter 24. He's talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ in verse 27. As the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And then it says, for wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. And so I believe that the reference here is second coming. Not rapture, but the second coming of Christ. But then we come to verse 43 through 44. Jesus says this, but no, there's that word, Gnosko again. But know this, that if the master or the goodman of the house, which I believe is speaking of, a, of an unbeliever here, if the master or the goodman of the house 
had, had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Does that make sense? If you knew that somebody was going to come and break into your house, I think you'd probably stay home and you'd keep watch over it. You'd be watching. You'd be ready for them when they come. But if he would have been ready and watching, but he wasn't, the master of the house went away. If he would have known that the thief was coming, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. And then Jesus says, therefore, you, therefore you also be ready. He says it to his disciples. I believe he's speaking of the Jewish remnant that is going to be uh, saved even during the tribulation period. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. And I believe that there's going to be a responsibility for the Jews that are going to get saved during the tribulation period as well as the Gentiles. There's a responsibility for them even that they're watching and they're ready because they're going to be able to look at their Bibles and look at Daniel chapter 9. They're going to be able to calculate from the desolation of abomination that is 1,290 days, 1,260 to then, 1,290 days in that set. They're going to be able to calculate it. And so maybe not right to the very day and hour, but they're going to be able to know that the time is drawing near. How are people made ready? How are people prepared? Well, those of us that know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior know the answer to that. The only way that you're prepared and made ready is you need to be born again. You need to know him as Lord and Savior. There is no other way to be prepared and be ready for the Lord's return. Whether that's the rapture of the church or the second coming of Jesus Christ, you have to be saved. You have to get right with God. We need to be spiritually prepared to meet the Lord. Those that are not are going to go into the tribulation period. Those that are prepared and ready to go when the Lord returns and we meet the Lord in the air, they're prepared, they're ready. God's going to come and he's going to take the church. He's going to take his bride to be with him. We're going to meet the Lord in the air. It's quite the difference over the rapture of the church and then the second coming of Jesus Christ where he comes back on a white horse and, and, and judges and makes war. King of kings and Lord of lords at the battle of Armageddon. It's two different comings. One is to receive the church. The other one is to come in judgment against the nations and the unbelievers on this earth. Israel was not ready when Jesus came the first time. They missed it. They missed him as Messiah. They weren't ready, but in the tribulation period, there are going to be many Jews that are going to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They're going to realize that Jesus was our Messiah. We missed him. He is the one that we were looking for. And there's going to be many that are going to be called to watch and be ready. We read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is the chapter that follows chapter 4, which speaks about the rapture of the church. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 
verses 1 to 5. It's speaking about the second coming of Jesus Christ, referred to in in this passage here and, and many others as the day of the Lord. It says, but Paul wrote this, he says, but concerning the times and the season, brethren, speaking to the believers there at Thessalonica, you have no need that I should write to you. In other words, he's already told them these things before. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Now the day of the Lord begins at the rapture of the church or at the beginning of the tribulation period and it's not going to be finished until the end of the thousand year millennial reign that all of that is referred to as the day of the Lord for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night and then he says for when they and I believe speaking of the Jews say peace and safety remember it's the Jews that are going to buy up the lie The Antichrist is going to come on the scene. He's going to make a a covenant and a peace agreement with Israel. They're going to be able to rebuild their, their, uh, their temple. They're going to think in their minds, our Messiah is here. This is the one we've been waiting for. Until the middle of the tribulation when they realize they've been deceived. But here Paul is referring to this end of the days during the tribulation period he says for when the jews say peace and safety paul says then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape but then he says this but you brethren but you brethren are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief in other words we should be aware church right we should be aware of the days we're in we should know the days we should know hey we're living in these days the lord could come back at any moment but you brethren are not in darkness you see you come out of darkness when you give your life to christ you come into the light you're no longer living in dark you no longer have the blinders over your eyes he says And they shall not escape, but you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Do you see the contrast? It's contrasting between a believer and a non-believer. And he's saying for you that, no, you need to be ready. We need to be ready as a church. If the Lord were to come back today and, the, and, and the, the rapture happened today, I believe in the imminent return of Christ. I believe that that just simply means that he could come back at any moment, meaning like right now, <laughs> meaning the Lord could come back today. And we need to live in light of that. We need to live as if the Lord could return today. How would that affect your living how would it affect what you would, would do in this day? If you knew that the Lord was coming back tomorrow, I have to believe that your whole day today would be turned upside down and you'd be living it totally different. I think you'd be on the phone. You'd be trying to witness to your loved ones. You'd be trying to do whatever you could because tomorrow the Lord's coming back. And the fact of the matter is we're to live that way. The Lord could come back at any moment. And the question is, are we ready? And are we living in that way? That's the way we need to be as believers. We're not in darkness. We're of the day. Jesus goes on and gives them some practical application in verse 45. And we're drawing close. He says, who then is a faithful and wise servant? 
whom his master made rule over his household to give them food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes. Did you get that? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him a ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. You see, there's a real danger, church. There's a real danger that's out there around you. There are people that teach that there are things that have to happen before Jesus Christ can return. You know, if you tell me uh, Jesus Christ can't come back for 10 years, that he can't, he's not coming back for 10 years, what do you think that's going to do? I'm, I'm going to slack off. That's our natural tendency. Slack off. He's not coming back for another 10 years. I'll get everything right in that last week. And I'll just kind of dabble in the world and live for myself now. That's the tendency of our flesh. Who's a faithful and wise servant? That's what I want to be. You know, I, I want to be wise. I want to be faithful. And what is God calling you to be faithful to? In your home, in your church here, at your job. He was calling us to be faithful. Faithful and wise servants. Servants. But this danger of saying that the Lord can't come back yet. I think it's very dangerous. I think even a post-trib view is dangerous. Uh, because you start looking at all the signs and everything leading up, you go, well, God, we haven't seen, because there's some people that believe there really will be a desolation of abomination that'll happen in the middle of the tribulation. But they don't believe that the rapture of the church is going to happen until the end of the tribulation. So if the rapture's not happening until the second coming of Jesus Christ, the second coming happened, the rapture happened simultaneously, then I might as well just live. Why just really go hard at it? I think as a church, we're called for this moment to be living wholeheartedly towards the Lord. The Lord could return today. Verse 50, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him. And at an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in, cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There, will, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you see the seriousness of what Jesus is saying here? And many times we read these things and they just become words on a page. We've heard it before. But I want you to think of the implications of that verse. What that means. He will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. A description of hell. A, a description of that final place of torment. For those that have not prepared themselves to meet the Lord. We're also exhorted, I believe, in this, these last verses here, that we need to steady on, church. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Paul wrote this. He says, my beloved brethren, he says, be steadfast, 
Be unmovable, church, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You ever feel like you're getting tired? You know, just serving. You know, I've been doing this child care here at the church. Have you ever felt like you're just kind of getting tired of it all? Be encouraged. This is all going to come to an end. It's all going to come to an end someday. Know that your labor, know that your effort, know that the things that you're doing here, they're not in vain. It's all going to be, if you do it with the right heart, you're going to reap the benefits for eternity of how God's going to reward you for the things and your faithfulness that you have done here on, in this life. Paul writing to the Galatians in chapter 6, verse 9, he says, Let us not grow weary in well do, while doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. Don't go weary in doing good. As a matter of fact, as we see the day approaching, we should press harder. Do more good. Just show more of God's love. Step out even more. That's the way we should be. In Hebrews 6.10, For God is not unjust to forget your work and your labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and you do minister. Do you see your responsibility to minister to one another? Here even in this church, to come alongside one another, to minister, to encourage, to love upon, to take care of. That's our role as a church. I'll tell you what, if things unleashed here like some of the church experiences in parts of the world under ISIS. I'll tell you what, this church would be binding together like we've never seen before. The problem is we live in a, in a day and an age where we got it so easy. And because we have it so easy, we get lazy. Second Peter 3.10, Peter wrote this. He says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And then he says this, therefore, since all of these things will be dissolved, meaning all of this, what manner of persons ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for? and hastening the coming of the day of God. Looking for, waiting. It's like being on the edge of your seat. The Lord could come back today. Because of which the heavens will be dissolved. Being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat. And then he says, nevertheless, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, we look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. When I read that, I just think, you know what? I can't wait. I can't wait. Till all of this comes to an end, all of your efforts, all of your laboring, all of your days, the suffering, the tribulations, and it all comes to the end, no more having to turn on the news and watch all the evil perpetrated in our world. There's going to be righteousness where we're going to dwell. It's going to be a a, a place for eternity for us. My question is, do we believe that? Do we really believe it? 
And if it, if it is something that you believe, it should affect you. I'll close with this verse, Titus 2.11. Paul writing to Titus, he says this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Zealous. Give me something, Lord. Give me more. I just want to be zealous for you. We have a responsibility, church. We have a responsibility with what we know. And there's people in this world that don't know Christ. And we have the remedy. And Lord, may we go out this week and may even this message today stir our hearts to do something that we would not normally do. We hope you have enjoyed today's study. For more information on teachings, events, worship times, and location, please visit our website, ccfwinstonsalem.com. From Pastor Greg and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, thank you for listening and being part of our study through God's Word.